All right, 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be picking it up. We are we're currently in the fifth week of an eight-week series entitled Reliance Values. Um, we are looking the, at the values that shape and inform everything that we do as a church. And values are critically important. And here's why. What you value shapes what you do. Um, I'm not talking about what you say you value, but what you truly value, that's what you actually do in practice. And what you do consistently in practice, that is what establishes your culture. Um, And so the value that we're going to look at today is the value of spiritual growth. Um, Here is uh, how we articulate that value. We say at Reliance Church, we develop a godly character through a lifelong commitment to learning. I'll articulate it this way. Here's, here's the needfulness of, of just this life, lifelong con- commitment uh, to, to learning, to spiritual growth. I've got, I've got three kids, and I have nine grandchildren. And when you have kids, your hope is that they're going to grow up and mature, right? You want your kids to, to grow up, to mature. Why? Well, because they're horrible roommates. That's why. I mean, kids, they're unemployed, they don't pay rent, they keep insane hours, their hygiene is horrible, and, and you know, you, <laughs> you just want your kids, man, to grow past that. I, I saw recently on the Tonight Show, Jim Gaffigan was on the Tonight Show. If you've ever seen the comedian Jim Gaffigan, he's hysterical. <clears throat> and the, the host asked, said to him, he said, look, I, I heard you recently had a, a fourth child. What's that like? He says, imagine you're drowning... And someone hands you a baby. That's what it's like. He says, if you had a roommate that did any of the things that your kids do, you'd kick them out. He's like, look, dude, do you even remember what happened last night? Like, you were hitting the bottle really hard. And then, you know, you you started throwing up, and, and, you know, you're screaming and throwing up, and and you passed out, and you, and you, you wet the bed. Brother, you gotta move out, man. I mean, it's just... That's the way it would be with, with, a, with a roommate. We, with our kids, we don't want them to, to remain immature. We don't want them to, to live at home their whole life and to, you know, never pay rent, never get a job, never grow up, never... Why? Well, because that's not what we want. That's not our hope for them. What we hope is that they'll grow up, that they'll mature, that they'll enter into adulthood with meaning and with purpose and fulfilling the, the, the purpose for which God created them. That they would, they would discover a wonderful relationship with God and grow in his image and be the man or the woman that God has created them to be. That's what we want for them. We want them to take a wife or to take a husband or to, you know, to pursue the dream or the calling that God has placed on their hearts. This is our desire for them. And, and with the Lord with us, it's the exact same way. That what God wants for us is he wants, you know, being born again, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. When we come to know the Lord as our Lord and Savior and we're born again, he wants us then to grow up. Here's what Paul said. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. But see, here's the problem. The problem is that in life and in the church, some people never grow up. If you doubt that, go to your high school reunion. You will find that some people never grow up. It's been said that you're only young once, 
but you can be immature forever. So here in 2 Peter, Peter is exhorting the church to grow up. That is, that's the overarching big idea. You've got to grow up. You've got to mature in your relationship with the Lord. And here's what he says in chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 5. He says, but also for this very reason. In other words, what he's saying is that we might grow up, the reason that we might grow up in the fullness of Christ, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Why? Verse 8. He says, for if these things are yours and abound, in other words, if you will grow spiritually, then what will happen? He says, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what Peter is saying here is that spiritual growth produces fruitful lives, that when you will determine to, to grow spiritually, to, to be committed to that growth, to allowing the Lord in you to work through you and to grow you up, that you are going to naturally produce fruit in your life. And what I want you to notice in these verses that we just read, please take note of this, that maturity uh, goes way beyond mere knowledge. When we talk about maturity, we're not just talking about knowledge. Because there's a lot of very smart, dumb people, practically speaking, that knowledge in and of itself does not guarantee that you are, in fact, mature. Yes, knowledge is a key ingredient in our spiritual growth, but it doesn't end there. It's what you then do with that knowledge. Paul Tripp, in his book, Dangerous Calling, said this, academic Christianity can actually make us dangerous. It arms us with powerful knowledge, which can make us feel that we're more mature and godly than we actually are. Love, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, the Bible says. Lots of people who, who are really smart biblically, but it doesn't translate to a spiritual maturity in how they live out their life. That's the point. So Peter says this. He says, look, you gotta exercise your faith. By adding virtue and by adding knowledge and by adding self-control and perseverance and godliness and kindness and brotherly love. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, there is a progression to spiritual maturity. There's a progression in your life and there's an essential component of community as a part of that progression. Peter then goes on, and I'll just kind of give you a paraphrase of the, of the book as it goes on. Basically, he goes on in the chapters that follow to stress several points. Peter stresses that, hey, we have a tendency as followers of Christ, as members of the body of Christ, as Christians, we have a tendency to be short-sighted about our spiritual growth. And that short-sightedness, Peter says, can lead to spiritual blindness, now, I've said this before, but the, the thing about spiritual blindness is unlike physical blindness, you don't know it. If you're physically blind, you know it. But if you're spiritually blind, you don't know it. It takes others within, within you know, a loving system of accountability and growth relationship to be able to tell you, you have a blind spot in your life that you can't see. And so he says, you know, essentially that we have a tendency to be short-sighted and that our short-sightedness can lead to spiritual blindness and that spiritual blindness is dangerous because it leaves us at the mercy of false teaching 
And he goes on to talk about how the day of the Lord is coming. And look, we need to get busy. We need to understand that God is coming. So Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you'll turn there, we'll pick it up in verse 14. Peter says this. He says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, 2 Peter 3 verse 14, looking forward to what things? What's he talking about? Basically, what he's talking about is while we're waiting for Jesus Christ to return as he promised. That's the idea. What should we be doing while we're waiting? He continues, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, if you were here last week, you know that this is what we talked about. We talked about, you know, as we looked at what Paul had to say in Ephesians chapter 4, that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the same thing here that Peter's talking about. Look, while you're waiting for Jesus, you've got to be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot, without blemish. In other words, you've got to focus on having the same heart and the same mind with one another and with the Lord and being united and so on. And Peter now continues in verse 15. Here's what he says. He says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also... In all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which, which, by the way, don't you just love that Peter acknowledges it? That the Apostle Paul sometimes is hard to understand? I mean, you read through some of the things that Paul wrote, and you're like, I don't get it. You know, and that's what he's saying. Yeah, Paul writes some stuff that's hard to understand. Which, he continues, untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, verse 17, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But, and here's the, here's the, the, the get, the, the working towards goal, he says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. Now, as we consider these verses that I've just read, basically, Peter focuses on three points that I want to highlight for us to look at. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. We are living on borrowed time. Peter emphasizes we're living on borrowed time. He says there in verse 15, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying by delaying his return, Jesus is giving people time to repent and to be saved. This includes us, by the way. Listen, if you're here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... Which, which, you know, obviously the mass, vast majority of us here today, born again by the Spirit of God. Aren't you so grateful that, that the, the Lord was patient and that he was long-suffering and that he delayed his return for you to be born and come to know him? Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad when you look in the rearview mirror of your life that you are not who you used to be? And we are far from perfect. God knows it. And God help us. But, but I am so grateful when I look back and I consider who I, who I was before Christ. When I look at my, my life, Brenda and I, as we have opportunity to teach, occasionally we'll, we'll share our testimony. And people will be shocked to find out, you know, who we used to be before Christ. They're like, you know, you, 
you used, used to drink alcohol? Like a fish, man. I was an idiot, you know? And, and so I just began to share the things that I used to do before I knew the Lord. And people, and my, Brenda, you know, she'll, she'll teach gals. She'll, she'll t- start sharing her testimony. And what happens is the wall goes down because people go, oh, gosh, you're, you know, you're not, you're not all holy and pure and, and righteous. You're, you're a loser like me. By God's grace, man, he, 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 and, and, I, and I'm so grateful because when you look in the rearview mirror where you used to be, even as Christians, when we look back, you should be able to have some sort of a, a, a maturity progression. It's kind of like your kids at home, you know, as they're growing and you get those little marks on the door jam and you get to see the progression of them over the years. And, and this is what we should see in our life when we look back at the, you know, metaphorically speaking, at the pictures of our lives as there's been a progression of growth, we say, oh my gosh, yeah, I remember that hairstyle. What was I thinking, you know? And you just, there, but there should be this maturing process. And aren't you grateful that God in his grace and in his mercy has been so long-suffering with you that he delayed his return, giving you time to repent? Listen, here's the fact. We are all living on borrowed time. Every last one of us. We are all living on time that God has graciously allowed. And so if you are not a Christian, here's what you need to hear today. You need to hear that the time that you have now is a gift. And the gift that God has given you, you have to respond to it. You have to receive that gift in order for for you to, 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 to actually enjoy the benefits of that gift. And so what God has done for you, if you're a non-believer, is that he's, you still have life. And you still have time to repent. It's been said, you're never too old to grow up. And so today, maybe if, if you are, are in a place where, where you've never received Christ, you need to understand, God has been long-suffering with you. And sometimes people say, oh, come on, tell me about a loving God who sends people to hell. What's up with that? Well, God doesn't send anybody to hell. God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. If you end up going to hell, you sent yourself there. Literally over Jesus' dead body. The Bible says he loves us so much that, that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins in our place. God says to you that, that, that he gives to you the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. We confess our sins. The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's available to you in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus. If you're here as a non-believer, you under, need to understand that the time that you have is a gift from God. And he would say to you today, surrender, give up your life, Sur- cry out to me, let me save you, let me make you into a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. Some of you, you need a do-over and, and it's available to you in Christ Jesus. And so understand, if you're not a Christian, the time that you have is a gift that you must respond to. But if you are a Christian, the time you have is also a gift that you must be responsible with. You not, must be responsible with the time that God has given to you. Listen to what Jesus said, Luke chapter 12. In verse 48, he said, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Now understand, Jesus said this in the context of stewardship. What is stewardship? 
It, it, it's, it's that you have been entrusted with something that doesn't belong to you and you have the responsibility to manage it. And what does not belong to you, Christian, is your life. You've been bought at a price, the Bible says. And so therefore, we need to glorify God in, in, in our bodies, which, are, which belong to the Lord, the Bible says. And so we have this stewardship responsibility to grow spiritually. It's no different than your children. As you raise them, as you lavish out gifts upon them, hey, it's not a one-way street. You don't pour into your children so that they can grow into their 30s and 40s and sit in their underwear on your couch and boss you around. That's not what you hope for them. That's not why you pour into them and lavish out upon them. You pour into them so that they will grow and mature and enter into the life which God gave to them. That's the whole idea. So a big part of our stewardship, the Bible says, is spiritual growth. Here's what Paul told Timothy. He said, study to show thyself approved to God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He went on to say this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But, Peter warns, there are those who want to impede that growth and that equipping. Which brings us to the second point here. Taking notes, write it down. We must beware of false teaching. We must beware of false teaching. Paul mentions, or Peter mentions Paul's epistles in verses 15 and 16. And he says in effect this. He says that God gave Paul amazing wisdom to communicate biblical truth. But he warns, sometimes it's difficult to understand. And it is. Sometimes we read the Bible, it's difficult to understand. And so what do we do? We have to give it brain power. We, we have to take a walk with the scriptures. We've got to meditate on them. And the, the idea is that you have to be committed to spiritual growth. It's incredibly important. I heard the story uh, just this morning of a guy. He was driving with his family through Florida, and they were driving through miles and miles and miles of orange groves. They're just everywhere. And they finally, they stopped at a place for breakfast, and, and he ordered with his breakfast orange, orange juice, and the waitress said, oh, I'm sorry, uh, we don't have any orange juice. He's like, I just drove through all these oranges, like for miles and miles, there's orange slices on my plate, what do you mean you don't have any orange juice? She says, well, our machine is broken. And he says this, he goes, you know, here's the deal, that this is such a picture so often of the way Christians are. You're surrounded by, by this fruit. And all you got to do is just squeeze it to get the, the, the fruit. But their machine breaks down. And there's a lot of Christians, basically, as it comes to spiritual growth, that, that you have surrounding you, filling your home, Bibles and, and the opportunity online just to study God's Word and to go through these things that are difficult sometimes to understand. But what do we do instead? We just simply come to church and say, oh, just feed me. Now, I'm glad that you're in church, and I think that needs to be a part of our spiritual growth, but it can't just be that. It can't just be the coming to church and relying on the machine to give you the juice. Sometimes you gotta, you, you've got to squeeze that juice for yourself. 
You got to give it brain power, taking a walk with the scriptures and so on. You got to study to show yourself approved. You have to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, in order, listen, for that to happen, we have to seek him. We have to wait upon him. We have to meditate on his word. And we need help. We need help one with another to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And listen, this is why, this, 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 this whole thing leading up to this, this is why we want to encourage you to pursue spiritual growth here. And that it's not just coming on Sunday. Yes, part of spiritual growth is a regular commitment to make Sunday a priority. But we also, our hope for you, is that during the week, sometime during the week, you would get plugged into one of our midweek gatherings. And the, the reason is to, to help you mature spiritually. That's the whole reason that we have men, midweek men's group, a midweek women's group, a midweek home Bible study, a, a midweek marriage class or a midweek parenting class. For your kids, the, the Awana ministry midweek or the Reliant Students ministry for the junior hires and high schools midweek. These are the things that we offer every week. We don't offer them just to have a program. We offer them so that you will grow and mature. And you don't have to be involved in everything. And a matter of fact, we don't want you involved in everything. We want you to come to church on Sunday and we want you to do one thing midweek. Just commit to grow spiritually during the week by, by choosing one thing that you're going to do to pursue this maturing process. Paul said this to the Colossians. He said, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing songs and, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Again, to the Hebrews, he said this, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Andy Stanley was talking about this spiritual imperative of growing together in community, just how important it is for us in community to commit to, to growing spiritually. And he said this, he says, it's much easier to do one, one anothering in circles than it is in rows. If Christians don't grow beyond sitting in rows in church on Sunday to sitting in circles in home during, homes during the week, they will likely not experience the one another victories seen in the book of Acts. And what Peter warns about here in verse 16, and extensively, by the way, in 2 Peter chapter 2, is that some people don't do that. Some don't seek the Lord. Some don't wait upon the Lord. They don't meditate on his word. And as a matter of fact, he says some people actually twist God's words to what they want to hear, to, to the way that seems right to them. To, to, to the way that fits their preferred lifestyle. That's what he's worrying about. He says some people actually do that. In Romans 1.32, Paul says that deep down, these types of people, they know what they're doing is wrong, but they do it anyway. And not only that, he says, but they approve of when, when other people do things that are wrong. They're approving of that lifestyle and they're encouraging others to do that as well. And so what Peter says in verse 17 is he says, look, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, 
In other words, look, since you know that false teachers are going to try and twist God's word and mislead you, Peter says, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked. Now, if you're given to taking notes in your Bible, you could circle that word steadfastness in verse 17 of 2 Peter chapter 3. The idea of that word steadfastness, here's what it means. It means to set and secure. To set and secure. It's like this. When I was in the fire department, they taught us how to put a ladder up on a building. And you go, well, gosh, that seems straightforward. No, there's actually a process to it. And so we, we had on the engine a 24-foot extension ladder. And so you, you had to carry it in a certain way. You had to set it a certain way. You had to raise the halyard. And they're teaching you how to do this alone, 24-foot extension ladder alone. So you have to, you have to raise it. You've got to keep your elbows out to kind of help, help hold it. And you pull that halyard and you raise that thing up. And then as you get it to where it needs to be and it locks in place, you have to lower it into the, to the building. It's got to be at a certain angle. You have to tie that rope off in a certain way. And then a very important process in setting and securing this ladder is that you have to have someone foot the ladder. You have a guy who goes at the base of the ladder and between the bottom of the ladder and the wall that it's leaning up against. He stands in that space. He holds the rails. He pulls back with his body weight and he's securing that ladder. Now, why is he doing that? Why does he hold and secure the ladder? So it doesn't fall, right? Have you you ever seen those videos on YouTube where somebody sets a ladder against a building and then it slides down and falls? How many of you have ever fallen down a ladder like that? Can I see a brave show of hands? A couple of you are willing to admit that you've fallen in a ladder like that? Why? Because the feet just slip out and away you go, right? And it it can be very seriously life-threatening in some cases. And so that's what steadfastness means, That's how we are supposed to be spiritually. We're supposed to be set and we're supposed to be secure. Here's what the Bible says. Bible says, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. That's me. That's Pastor Kyle. That's Pastor Darius. Pastor Scott and so on. These are the gifts that he's given. Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people, that's you, to equip you to do what? To do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. This this process of maturing in God, it has to be something that you commit to, that we're committed to, that we together are committed to. This is the maturing process. The idea is being set and secure comes through a serious commitment to spiritual growth on both of our parts. But listen, when you fail to set and secure the ladder of your faith, you risk falling. Notice that word fall. Peter says there again, 2 Peter 3.17, Beware lest you also fall from your steadfastness. 
So, so we want to be set and secure, but if we're not set and secure, we fall. And that word fall in the Greek, it's the word ekpipto. Here's what it means. It means to fall off of, to fall out of, or to fall down from. To fall off of. What, what begins to happen when you get lazy in your spiritual growth? Your spiritual routine falls off. And then all of a sudden what happens is that the tyranny of the urgent begins to push out the important things in your life off your schedule. We've all experienced that. Or it's like, well, you know, rather than being in the Word and in prayer and going to my weekly study, other stuff came in and it just choked out the seed and it became unfruitful. And now, I'm, now I got other stuff. I've, I've just fallen off of this disciplined routine. And then what happens then is you fall out of. You fall out of prayer. You fall out of a regular time in the word. You fall out of touch with fellow believers. You fall out of unity with God and with his people. And before you know it, you fall down from. Down from where you once stood. Down from where God wants you to be. You might be in a place where, you know, like David, you, you, you fall from a place of where it, all the springtime and the kings go off to war. And you're at home and you're meandering. And before you know it, he falls down. Paul warned the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Which brings us finally to the antidote for false teaching. The antidote for false teaching, uh, Peter says, is spiritual growth. That's our third point. The antidote for false teaching is spiritual growth. Here's what he says, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. That word grow, by the way, it's a, it, it's a verb. It means to cause to grow, to augment, to increase, to become greater. In other words, here's what that means. It means that spiritual growth doesn't just happen to you. There is some assembly required in your spiritual growth. Here's what Warren Wiersbe said about that. He says, it's not good enough for Christians to let go and let God as though spiritual growth were God's work alone. The Father and the Son must work together. Now, he's not talking about Father God and the Son of God, Jesus, although that's certainly the, the, the triune God is part of the growth process. Here in his quote, he's talking about our Father in heaven and you, his Son on earth in that joint cooperation that needs to take place. And so I want to ask you the question, listen, as it pertains to your fruitful growth, do you have personal, personal participation in that? That's, that's the takeaway. That's the, hey, putting feet on your faith and taking this message and going out and applying it. Do you have personal participation with God the Father in pursuing spiritual growth? In closing, I heard a story by a guy named Frederick Page or about a guy named Frederick Page. He was, he was an aviation pioneer and um, he had the dubious distinction of creating a com- the, the only commercial aircraft that's ever been mass produced that never had a single crash or fatality. This guy, long, years before that, when he was be, before he'd ever built his first plane, he had a job where he was flying as a, as a route pilot and he was in the desert of Saudi Arabia. And he would fly supplies from one location to another. And so in the middle of a flight, he all of a sudden, he heard 
a rat in his plane. He was flying a cargo plane. It was filled with food and supplies. A rat had come in, in these supplies. And he heard him in the cockpit somewhere behind him chewing on something. And he started to freak out because you know what kind of damage rats can do. And so in his mind, he's thinking he's chewing through a fuel line. He's chewing through some, something that's going to affect my steering. Like, I'm going to die up here. And so as he's flying, he all of a sudden just remembered that he had learned somewhere that, uh, that high altitudes kill rats because of, because of the decrease in oxygen. And so he just started flying this plane as high, at as high an altitude as he could possibly tolerate until he stopped hearing the noises of the rat chewing. He, he, didn't, he couldn't land anywhere. He's out in the middle of the desert. He's, I mean, if he went down, he was dead. So he, his only hope was getting to his next destination. And so he's just flying at altitude, and finally he hears the sounds of the rat chewing go away. And so he stays up at that altitude for a while, and finally he comes down, he lands safely at his destination, and he goes back, and sure enough, it was the biggest rat he'd ever seen. And sure enough, he was chewing on something that would have brought the plane down. And the only thing that saved him was the altitude. For you, when we talk about spiritual growth, that's the picture I want you to have in your mind. Because we all have rats in our airplane. There are rats that are chewing on vital systems in your marriage, in your walk, in your character and in integrity, in, in, in the way that you act as a husband, as a father, and so on. There are rats in your plane. And the only thing that's going to save you from that rat chewing up those vital things is altitude. You at altitude with God, striving to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior.